Let's go to Galatians. We're going to be in Galatians 3, um, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 5. Um, Let me pray for a minute. Uh, Holy Spirit, you wrote this book, uh, and we don't understand it without you. Uh, It means nothing without you. Holy Spirit, I I pray that you would give me... uh, the ability and the power to be able to speak uh, what I feel like you've shown me this week. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would work in, in all of our hearts to receive it. Uh, and we depend on you for that. And we just say that you are God and that we are we're just men. And you can do whatever you want to do. Uh, Holy Spirit, you are free to do whatever you want to do in this place. Uh, and we just give you all rights tonight. Uh, and so we love you. We thank you um, for how you chase us, how you pursue us. And we praise you for how good you are to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So like I said, we're in, we might have it on the board. Yeah? <laughs> okay, good. There it is. Um, I'm just going to read through the whole thing, and then we'll talk through it. Uh, it's been a pretty powerful few verses for me this time that I went through it and other times that I've read through it. So uh, pretty excited. So uh, let's look at it. Galatians 3, 1 through 5. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Uh, so, this scripture and then maybe the, the whole rest of the Old Testament and a ton of the New Testament paints humanity and God in such a way that, um, well, he, he uses parables sometimes, but God says, like, I'm, I'm the potter and, and you're like clay. Or I'm a shepherd, and you're like sheep, right? Or he says, I'm a vine, and you're, you're just like a branch from that vine. And so it's always this, it's not just this level of submission, but it's this level of control that he has over us. It's this level of, and it's always painted in a loving way. It's always painted in a way that, like, he's a good shepherd. He's not just some shepherd who sort of walks along and, Let's the sheep get torn up by wolves. But he's a good and loving shepherd. But he still paints us as just sheep, right? He doesn't say he's the shepherd and, and we're like these other lesser shepherds and we can counsel with him about things. No, we're just sheep. And he can hit us with a stick when we act stupid. But he, he has this control, this level that is so much higher than us, right? And this relationship that exists is one where he gives and we receive. And that's it. We don't, we don't need to give him anything. We don't need to give him gifts. We don't need to do the right things or say the right things. He is the pursuer, and we're the ones who pursued, right? He is the one that is constantly at work initiating things, and we are the ones that are constantly just receiving and believing everything that he initiates and does. And he doesn't just initiate them. He completes them. Like, he does everything and we just sort of respond to what he's doing we're like oh that's that's cool that's cool god um and so 
we, we, we buy into that in the beginning of Christianity. And then as we sort of walk through our Christian lives, for some reason we, we hijack uh, that relationship. We, we, we go sort of one or two ways. Not everybody, some people. Um, we go one or two ways. We disregard them completely. So we're like, cool, thanks for salvation. Appreciate it, bro. Um, and I'm basically going to do whatever I want now. Uh, and, and, and I will go to church sometimes. There'll be times when I don't. I'll just apologize. It'll be cool. Um, but there's, there's this like, I'm basically going to do whatever I want to do. I, I, I'm not going to consult you on anything in my life, really. I'm just, I'm just going to go. I appreciate salvation. Heaven's going to be fat. Uh, but, you know, I'll do what I want to do now. Or you go this other way where we get way out in front of him. We get way out in front of him. We want to change the world. We want to change campus. We want to, we want to change the people just in our class. You know what I mean? We, and, and we have all these desires to do some very good Christian things, but we forget the way the relationship works. We forget that he initiates, he executes, and we, we just respond to that. And we forget that we're, we're just clay, and he's a potter, and he's molding us, and he's shaping us, and he's doing what he wants to do through us. And that's his joy that's his prerogative that's what he wants to do right so we sort of hijack the relationship and we jump out in front and we're just sort of like like a sheep like ah and we sort of just bail off while he's taking the sheep some other way um so okay so check out uh check out verse one. Oh, foolish galatians who has bewitched you it was before your eyes that jesus christ was publicly portrayed as crucified so he starts out with brotherly love and galatians you idiots uh, not, he's not so harsh. He just says they're foolish, which is probably worse than idiots in the Bible, actually. Um, but he's, he's really emphatic um, that this distortion of the gospel that they are experiencing and believing is senseless, and it's really serious. Okay, It's senseless, and it's serious. It doesn't make any sense, but it's killing them. You see what I mean? That's why he calls them fools. And again, and he's going to call them fools again. And it's serious. Okay, so he, he just goes in, in verse 1 to re- remind them of the nature of that relationship. So it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Um, so Christ was not the Galatians' idea. They didn't say, man, it's rough out here, God. You're going to need to do something. Like, this is a rough place. There's a lot of terrible things going on. I would really appreciate if you would send a guy to sort of fix this. Like he's, it's not the Galatians' idea. Christ is not the Galatians' idea, right? That God was desiring to rescue his people before he created people. And that Christ himself was the plan of the Trinity before time began. And that Christ, even as he walks on the earth, He's constantly saying, I'm under the will of the Father. And you don't see him start his ministry until the Spirit comes on him. So you're seeing all of the Trinity involved in this. Under the control of the Spirit, he's led by the will of the Father to a cross where he swallows the wrath that's due all mankind. And the thing is, is the, re- he, the reason he brings this up now is because he's making the point that wasn't your idea. And it wasn't Paul's idea. It wasn't my idea. It wasn't y'all's idea. It was God's idea. God initiated salvation. It was God's idea and he executed it. He did the whole thing. 
He didn't take counsel from anyone. No one asked him if it would be a great idea for him to do that. God initiated it. Christ was God's idea. And it wasn't our idea. And it wasn't the Galatians' idea. So, same, same exact thing in verse 2, right? He's, he's really taken on this. So he said, Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. It was before your eyes. Christ was portrayed as crucified. So all of this is about Christ and it's resting on Christ. Right? So then he goes into verse 2. Let me ask you only this, and it's hilarious because he asked six questions, but he's just a Baptist, and that's fine. So let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? He's talking about their initial conversion. Right? He's just driving this in a little deeper. Remember your personal conversion, Galatians. Did, did, you just got, did y'all jump through some religious hoops, and then God smiles from heaven and is like, hey, Great job, guys. Thumbs up. I want to give you everything. I give you heaven, good life now. No. It, they didn't jump through some religious hoops, and then God smiles down from heaven and says, those are really great folks. I would love to convert them, right? No. Their, their own personal conversion was not something they started. And, and, and Paul is saying the same thing to us. How, how many of you guys... Don't lie. How many of you guys became believers before you were 10? Okay. How many of you guys from like 10 to 20? Okay, that's sweet. And then how many after 20? Yeah, me too. Um, Okay, so when you were 7, did you sort of look around and you're like, this sucks, bro. I gotta kick this meth habit and this crack addiction, and I, I'm gonna start reading the Bible and I'm gonna start talking about the Bible to people at school. Like, no, something inside of you heard something and received it. You received something. You believed something. You didn't even decide to believe it. It just clicked for the first time and for the first time you knew things weren't just right you knew in some way and in some manner that you had offended the creator and for the first time you realized something something something's wrong in me and needs to be fixed and we're presented with this person of christ you were presented with this person of christ and that clicked and you didn't like do all this research and like, which is the best God to believe in, started reading about Hinduism. Like, something clicked in you for the first time, and you believed. And so Ephesians 2 tells us you, you couldn't even decide to believe if you wanted to believe. Ephesians 2 tells us that the Spirit had to help you believe. The Spirit had to open your eyes in some fashion. The Spirit had to make you see that the truth of what whoever was telling you was real. Right? The Spirit had to do that. The Holy Spirit had to do that to you. So, just like Christ, your conversion was God's idea. He initiated it, and he executed it, and all you do are like, sweet, thanks. I'll have some of that. Like, you, d- you didn't do anything. And so he's painting this picture. He's reminding them of this initiator-receiver relationship. He's reminding them of that. Um, and then he says, uh, really specific, uh, did you receive that spirit by hearing with faith or by works of the law. 
Was it doing or was it hearing and believing something? And so we really can't jump off from here and, and, until we talk about just for a minute then what's being believed, right? What's being believed? And you can go anywhere with this. And I, I don't think all of you realize how crazy Christianity is. Some of you do. So we really believe that there is a God who is three persons and one. And we've got no problems with that. He's three and he's one. And he exists without matter, without space, and without time. And he existed before space and time existed. And so we believe that. Do you, like, really, you really believe that? Or is it, is, or is it something you sort of just agreeing with for a while? Because most of the people around you agree with it. Like, do, think about the nature of that idea. And, and not only that, but he's so, so powerful that he speaks and universes are created and stars and supernovas. He just speaks and, and they come to life. Everything in the known universe was spoken into creation by him. That's crazy. He's insanely powerful. But not only that, this, this powerful God also creates spiders and ladybugs and those weird little stick bugs that look like a branch until you touch it, and then it crawls off way faster than you think it can move. And those giant wolf spiders that are gross and carry babies on their back, right? So he speaks and stars are made, but he also speaks in, in spiders that can weave a silk web where half of the web is sticky and the other half is not. So they know where to walk so they don't get stuck in their own web. And then you get, to, you, you know, you get to walk through it and be like, ah, right? But he, he does that and he does this, right? Do you, I mean, do you, do you realize the insanity of that? Do you, do you really believe that God created men knowing that men would rebel against him? and that he would become a man to save men. Do you really believe that? So that God makes men, knowing that they'll fall, just so that he can become a man and let them crucify him and stab him and slap him around. God, the one who speaks universes and makes ladybugs, became, he became a man for men, for the sake of men. Like, honestly, like you... That is, a, that is a crazy idea. That is not a normal idea. Okay, and then you also believe that there's a, there's a spiritual realm where angels, demons, and it has an effect on this realm. And that one day, this God is going to come again and the skies are going to roll back in terror from Him because He's so ferocious and he's going to institute a new reign on this earth that is completely perfect and without flaw and where there's no tears and there's no crying and there's no death and that you'll live forever. Like, do, do you really believe that? Like, are you taking that? Like, are you hearing that with faith to such a degree that it affects life? Because we can read this and it sounds all great and then we don't really talk about it in public because deep down we know it's a little insane. It's okay. I, I, I feel, some of you guys who are still wrestling with Christianity, it's okay. You can wrestle with it. 
It's some crazy ideas. I, I understand that. But the nature of Christianity is one of hearing and believing, and everything in it works that way. Everything in it works that way. That the, the truths that you're holding on to, you're supposed to stand so firmly on them that it changes everything about your life. And so the questions have to constantly be, do I really believe that? And I'm not saying you sh- I, I wrestle with doubt all the time. All the time. It's normal. I have to ask God, help, help me believe this. I want to believe it. I'm having trouble standing on it. You know what I'm saying? Like, we are entertaining some crazy ideas. So, all of these ideas were ones that were given to different people at different times. And at some point in your life, you heard them, you accepted them, you heard it, you accepted it, and the Spirit of God was given to you. The Holy Spirit was given to you. So again, do you believe that? That a member of the Trinity resides inside of you for the purpose of giving you revelation in this book and guiding your future. To continue that relationship of God initiates, I just respond. God initiates, I just respond. The Holy Spirit is given to believers for that purpose. Okay? The... They're not, it's not easy to believe. It's not. Are, are you really like grabbing onto that? Are they, is it something you wrestle with? It's, either way is good, but those things you need to be honest about internally. And so this Holy Spirit is given to us to continue that engagement of God giving and us receiving. Sorry, I went on there too long. Um, so let's... Uh, Let's jump to verse 3 then. I think we're done on verse 2. Are you so foolish? He asks again. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So uh, up to this point, God has initiated and executed every good thing that's happened in your life. He's initiated it, and he's executed it. And he's asking the Galatians. He's asking us. Are you so foolish? Are you so foolish to think that you were begun by the Spirit and now it's up to you to finish this off? It's up to your striving. It's up to your following all the right rules. It's up to you reading your Bible enough. It's up to you praying enough and God smiling on you. It's, it's up to you telling the gospel enough to enough people in your class that God looks at you and says, I'm pleased, fantastic. And I'm not saying any of those things are bad things. They're not. We just are really good at taking good things and making them bad. Are, are, are you so foolish to think that having begun by the Spirit, you are perfected by your flesh? Um, think about, let's think about Abraham, right? Abraham, if you know the story of Abraham, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. Remember that guy? Um, he just sort of chilling at home, and God comes to him and says, hey, I want you to leave. I want you to leave here, and if you leave here and go where I'm taking you, you'll have a child. You will actually create a nation from that child. You'll bless the whole world through your offspring. 
So God initiates. Abraham's like, cool, all right. And he goes. And then later on, Abraham still doesn't have a child. He's in his 90s. His wife's barren. She's equally as old. And God's like, hey, you're going to have a son. God initiated. He wasn't like, hey, I need this son. God said, you're, you're going to have a son. And he's like, cool. The son doesn't come, so he knocks up one of the maidservants. And he's like, hey, God, here's that child we talked about. God's like, no, that's not the child we talked about. The child we talked about is one that I'm giving you, not one that you're doing for yourself. Okay? It's something God initiated. God executes. He only has to say thank you. So, he says, you're going to have a son. So, I guess in Abraham's case, this responding is date nights with Sarah. Never mind. Um, (laughs) But he has a son. And it's because God initiated it. God executed it. And he just responds, right? So if, if we see that God is willing to lead and he's given so much to us in Christ and then he's given so much to us in our salvation, why is it that we hijack that? Why is it that we go from in our Christian life to, hey, cool, thanks God, I saw that you initiated my salvation, I did nothing for that, um, I see that, cool. Now, why do we feel like we need to perfect ourselves? Why do we feel like we need to set up a standard of rules by which we live to please God? Do you see, you see where I'm going with this? Why do we feel like it is up to us to finish this Christian life? Why do we feel like it's... Why is it so hard to just be the, the clay? Why is it so hard... Why is it so hard to just be the branch? Why is it so hard to just be a sheep? Why is that, why is that so hard for us? Um, and my guess for my own life is, is fear. Because complete abandonment every single day of all my hopes, all my dreams for the future, everything I want for my life, everything I want for my marriage, the kind of house I want to have in 20 years, all that stuff, all of that stuff, that I have to put on the line and say, okay, okay, God, you, you're the potter, I'm just the clay. It, it's much easier, and I get this, this is really hard to just this complete abandonment every day and say, okay, God, you lead me, you lead me, and I'll go. You lead me, and I'll go. That's difficult. And the problem is, is, is it's much easier to say, just give me a set of rules, and let me, let me just sort of do what I want. So that's sort of the first game we jump into is just, just sort of, Tell me exactly how far I can go with my girlfriend. Tell me exactly how many beers I can drink before it's sinning. Uh, tell me how many bowls out of my pipe I can smoke before it's sinning. You know what I mean? Like, we have, this, we have these, just, just give me the rules. Just give me the, sort of the bottom line, and I'll, I'll drive. And you just tell me when the potholes are coming. I'll, I'll drive, and I'll even let you give me directions sometimes. But we take over, we hijack his direction and his movement, and we hijack listening and responding to the Spirit of God for our own either really weak following the rules or, like I said earlier, just just a a disregard. And understand, I understand that it's not easy to just take it all every single day and say, yeah, my, my hopes, my dreams, everything is nothing. 
and I, I trust that you're going to lead me into that. And so you, it, it, it takes falling back on those ideas that we talked about. It takes falling back on, on these ideas that God is powerful enough to do anything he wants to do. That he is loving and careful enough to create ladybugs and guide my life every step of the way in a beautiful place. Into a beautiful place. It takes every day trusting that and saying, okay, okay. And then the next morning I want to wake up and I want to grab everything off the table. And be like, no, no, you can, guide, you can guide ministry, you just can't guide my future. You can guide ministry, you just can't guide my marriage, all right? And I'll just take, take, take things off the table. So, so we trade a relationship of leading. We trade this relationship that's constantly been proven to work. We trade this initiator, responder relationship for just one of following rules. For just one of taking the rules and saying, yeah, 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 let me do that, let me do that, let me do that. Because it's honestly hard to say, here, everything is yours. So, what's, what's the consequence of, of not doing that? Look at verse 5. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Does he who supplies the Spirit and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Um, some of us have a... So a weak, limp, religious experience where we don't see the power of God and we don't see the Holy Spirit move in our lives because we have hijacked the relationship and we are now way out in front or we really just don't care. And so you will not see. It's what he's saying. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do so because you're following a set of rules or does he do so because you hear faithfully? Do you see that? Does he do so because you're following the rules? Or does he do so because you hear faithfully? And what's implied is you will not see the work of God if all, of your, all you're concerned about is the rules. You will not see the work of God if you don't even care about the rules. But you hear faithfully, you see the work of the Spirit, you see miracles worked among you. You see that? So just scripturally, no one in Scripture came up with the work that God had for them to do. No one in Scripture came up with, with what God wanted them to do. All they did was receive from God, what do you want me to do? Okay, and I'll go. And they weren't like, they weren't like trying to change the world. You see what I mean? They were simply obedient to a faithful God. It was just just simple, let me hear, okay, what do you want me to do? Okay, okay. And most of them don't even respond that well. Moses is like, mm, no, I'm not going to Egypt. That's a dumb idea, God. And Jonah is like, no, I've actually got a cruise planned to Spain, and it's going to be sweet. And so what does God do? Is he like, stupid Jonah? No, he pursues him. It's pretty crappy how he does it, but he pursues him. He's, he takes him in a fish, and then he throws him up on the shore. But it's out of love. It's because he's asking Jonah to do something, and when Jonah doesn't respond, he just pursues, maybe a little stronger, but he pursues. Because that's the nature of him. He is the initiator. I mean, every, every, he came to Abraham in the wilderness and said, leave your home. He came to Moses in the wilderness and said, hey, I'm a flaming bush. 
You need to go to Egypt and save my people. He came to Samuel in the temple. He came to David while he's pasturing a flock of sheep. Uh, he comes to Isaiah when Isaiah walks in the temple. All these people were not asking, hey, God, will you let me go change? Will you let me go do all this? They were being faithful. They were being faithful. And God said, do this. And some of them, Isaiah, crappy job that he got. Hey, who's going to go? Who's going to go for us is basically all the, it's pretty vague. Who's going to go for us? And Isaiah's like, I'll go, Lord. He's like, what do you want me to do? I, I want you to go tell everyone that a nation is coming to destroy them, and it's all because they're wicked sinners. All of Israel is wicked sinners, and the nation's coming to destroy Israel, and I want you to tell everybody that, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to piss them off. Bad. And they're going to hate you. And Isaiah's like, okay, how, how long should I tell them that? Uh... Till that nation gets here and destroys them. Sweet. So they're never going to listen. No, they're, they're not going to listen. But you do get to go tell them. See you later. Right? But, I mean, you're seeing it every step of the line. Jesus. Jesus goes to the disciples. Jesus goes to Peter and Andrew when they're in a boat fishing. Uh, Jesus kicks Paul off a horse. And he's like, what are you doing, bro? Ease up. Like, really? So you see, this is the way the Trinity works. They pursue us, we faithfully listen, and then we go. Do you see what I'm saying? So, and even with Paul, it was like, what does he say right after that? He says, he tells the guy that opens, first he makes Paul blind, and then there's a guy that opens Paul's eyes, and he tells that guy, I'm going to show Paul how much he has to suffer for my name's sake. <laughs> Sweet. But Paul probably had more joy than anyone who ever lived on earth because he faithfully responded to God's call and he faithfully listened to the Spirit's leading in his life. And it was never his idea. It was the Spirit of God moving him. You see that? So God is initiating this. He is completing it. We just respond. We just respond. Um, so... The, the reason this is so, sort of important uh, is because I feel like there's, there's probably a thousand different kind of people in here, but I think this is going to hit people in different ways, like the truth of this, because I think some of you guys are super passionate. You're, you want to change the world, right? You want to change campus. Even some of you guys in smart groups, like that's, I, the passion is beautiful. It's good. The passion is beautiful, and it's good. But my fear is that you overcommit to all these ministries. You overcommit to doing all of these good Christian things. On top of that, you're not going to perform well if I don't read my Bible and pray 11,000 times a day. And so you've coupled all of these religious activities on top of all the good things you need to do for Jesus Christ. And all he's saying to you is, I want to work with you. I will lead you and guide you into some miracles if you listen and respond. If you listen and respond. If you listen, if I'll initiate it. I'll do it. You just sort of hang out. Sometimes I might get you to say something. I'll slap you on the butt and get you to say something. And, I mean, maturity is saying, maturity is saying no to good things and learning to receive the direction that God has for you and what he wants to do through you. Not all good Christian things are the things we all need to be doing. God has a specific, unique direction in your life that he wants to work out through the power of the Holy Spirit where you will see him move and he will lead you to glorify his name 
and into more joy than you can imagine. But if you overcommit and overcommit and overcommit and do all these good Christian things, the passion is beautiful, but I'm scared that it, it can take you over. And, and, and part of that passion is just, I see this in me, is this desire to be glorified. This desire to be seen as, oh, I'm super Christian. I'm super preacher. You know what I mean? Like, there's this desire that constantly has to be battled inside of me that my job here is not to be the best preacher in the world. And I think y'all are all going to have to deal with some similar things, especially those who are passionate about changing the people around you and seeing yourself changed. Is, is the motivation for that, is the desire for that one of responding obediently or is it one of, I'm, I'm going to puff myself up. I want to be the best Christian ever. Not like the rest of these idiots. You know what I mean? And, and then the other side of that, I think, I think there's some of you guys um, that are just sort of following along this American Christian idea. Uh, you got saved, you, you go to church, but your focus is your future. Your focus is uh, your career, your grades, um, basically anything about your future, a, a mate, whatever. So you just want that job, you want that house, you want two and a half kids and one and a half dogs, no cats, and you want to sprinkle in like a little church along the way just so your kids turn out good. So your kids turn out into good kids. And there is no like abandonment to the work of the Spirit in your life. There is no abandonment to the will of God in your life. It's all just a little church because that's what we do in the South. We go to church. And, and sometimes when things are bad, I'll pray. And, like, I get that. We've been programmed since we were born for that. Like, watch TV for 30 minutes, and you're going to find out how many things you need and why your life sucks. And then you're going to go buy those things, and they're not going to satisfy. And you're going to watch TV again and be like, oh, that's why. I need those things. And you're going to buy those. Th- and so you're just programmed for this consumeristic lifestyle that's all about the next best thing. And it's never about, okay, whatever, God. And it's hard. It's not easy. And we mess it up. We have to learn how to hear from the Spirit. We have to learn how to interact with our Father. We have to learn all these things. And the, the fact of the matter is, is we're never going to do it perfect. We're always going to be sheep. We're always going to be clay. And our Father still loves us. Our Father is still pursuing us. And so th- I, think there's a group of, I think there's a group of you who get this idea of the Spirit leading you. And you're constantly listening to the Spirit. But, but you're so afraid you're going to mess it up. You're so afraid you're not going to hear it right or you're going to hear it wrong and that the rest of your future is going to be screwed. And that's simply not true. We are the children of God whom he loves and he's not waiting for us to mess up so he can kick us in the teeth. He wants to lead us into good and beautiful things for his glory, for our joy. And he works with us. He knows like, I'm like a four-year-old in Christianity, right? I've been a Christian for five years, so I'm a five-year-old. There's so much grace. There's so much grace in the way we work this out. There's so much grace in the way this is worked out through us and in us. And so some of you just need to rest from the fear that you can mess up God's plan for your life. Because he will pursue, he will work, he will do, and all our job is to take our hands off and respond. And it's not easy. It's not easy. But when you do, it's beautiful. And the longer you learn that relationship, the longer you sit in that relationship, the easier it is to distinguish the way the Spirit moves 
as opposed to your, your desires because half the time you're going to confuse him for you. That's okay. He understands. He knows how to get you to do. He knows how to bring you along as long as you commit and say, okay, it's yours. Okay, it's yours. You feel me? So it's not just like trying to figure it out and trying to do all this stuff. It's a daily committal.